Glad to see you all here tonight. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Now, last uh, time we were together in the book of 1 Corinthians, uh, chapter 2, we covered and we went verses 9 to 13 here. And before we get going, let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for a perfect Bible. Father, we thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to get together in the church house and fellowship. And Father, we thank you, Lord, for just being so good to us this time of year. Thank you, Lord, for your artistry, the paintbrush and the trees and all around us. Father, it sure is beautiful. It sure makes us long for home, for heaven. Father, I pray that you come back soon. Until then, give us, open our eyes, if you would, Lord, that we may behold wondrous things out of thy law. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, verses 9 to 10, God reveals the things uh, that he's going to reveal to the child of God through the Spirit of God. That's uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. And we spent a good deal of time last week letting, reminding you that if the Lord's going to reveal anything to you at all, then you're going to have to have a clean and willing heart. A clean and willing heart, and that is a pure heart is critical for a proper understanding of the Bible. If you want to know why so many Christians are messed up, jacked up, and screwed up about the Bible, is they don't have a, a willing heart, they don't have a clean heart, they don't have a pure heart. And not only that, but if the Lord's going to reveal something to you and me from the Word of God by the Spirit of God, we have to be willing to be His servant. Willing to be His servant. You've got to be willing to do what God wants you to do, in order for what? To get the revelation. You want the revelation, then you got to be the servant. Got to be the servant. You got to be willing to do what God wants you to do. So purity of heart is important, and it comes the responsibility of getting something from God. You know what it also entails? Not only a pure heart, a willing heart, a willingness to be a servant, but it's going to take some, some study. It's going to require you to search the scriptures. You want the revelation, then you're going to have to run the verses. And that's where a lot of Christians fall out. Uh, if you want the revelation from God, uh, you know, what is the old yellow pages? Let your fingers do the walking. You're going to have to tell your fingers they need to start walking through the pages of this book and studying the thing out. You want to know more about the grace of God? Then you need to study. Let your fingers do the walking on the grace of God. You want to know about the mercy of God? You want to know how to have victory in your personal life, have victory in your uh, public work life? You want to know how to clean up your testimony and how to get the victory over things and get peace and joy and all that stuff? You're going to have to run the passages. Amen. And we said there's a group of people in Acts chapter 17, verse 11, the Bereans, the Bible said they search the Scriptures daily. Search the Scriptures daily. He said, Preacher, I'm too busy. Well, I, I know we're all busy. And we're all busy by, uh, by choice. Uh, because if you didn't want to be busy, the bottom line is, is you would not be busy. I remember for a number of years I had an ice cream route. And I, would, uh, I was at everyone's house early in the morning and late at night. And I remember watching people sit in their recliner and in their couches with their big rabbit slippers on, with their feet up in the air, and I'm standing there taking their ice cream order, and I used to think this, I wish I was home in my chair. For years I said that, I wish I was home with my feet up. And I'm just saying this, if you want to be home, you'll be home. And I'm just saying you're going to do what you want to do. And if you want to get the revelation, then you're going to have to tell yourself, I'm going to have to get that book out, and I'm going to have to stop my schedule, and I'm going to have to go ahead and search some things out. Why? Because the revelation of God and getting things from God is important enough to me and I'm going to have to search the scriptures daily. All right, now we get over to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11 to 12. We talked about, we distinguished different spirits in the Bible. We talked about the spirit of the world. Spirit of the world, we talked about the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, the spirit of man, and the spirit of a beast and how those things are different. Uh, we talked about uh, not only that, but the spirit of Satan. That's an unclean spirit. <clears throat> Different spirits there. And here we come into uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 13, and talking about uh, these things that are revealed, he says, Paul says here in verse 13, "...which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual, which things, that first two uh, word phrase there, the things of the Spirit are transmitted to us in words and are taught by the Holy Spirit, 
You know how you learn? You're going to learn that Bible by words. And you know what this generation wants to do? They want to throw the words out and they want to replace it with images. I mean, it's even in our, you know, our communication with the family. We no longer say, uh, be right back. We create an emoji or a, a meme, and we crack up over it. I'm not, I'm not against your memes. I've got a great meme creator. I'm really good at it, in my own mind at least. I'm saying if you're going to learn anything about the Bible, it's going to be through words. And the uh, Bible says, which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teaches. So the way you teach the Bible, the way you learn the Bible, isn't going to be through some man-made method. It's going to be through the Holy Ghost. That's why when we get up here and we review things, we say this, the Holy Spirit taught us that. Why? Because if you learned anything from that passage, it was, I might be a tool, I might be an instrument, uh, a mouthpiece, but it's because the Holy Spirit's the great interpreter of Scripture, and He's going to go, that's it. He's going to bear witness to the Word. Now, the things of the Spirit are transmitted to us in words and are taught by the Holy Spirit. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2 real quick. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, you want to watch out for man-made methods. Now, obviously, we've got to speak. We've got to talk. We're not talking about that. We're talking about methods that groups are coming up with to try to get you replace uh, learning the Bible. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 5. Paul says here, he says that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. All right, now look, if you want to keep the revelation coming, if you want to keep the Lord teaching you that book, and you want to keep things being revealed to you, you've got to put your faith in Jesus Christ, and you don't put your faith in the wisdom of man's words. That's it. Uh, verse 13 says again, "...which things also we speak, not as the words which man's wisdom teacheth." He means what he's saying. Uh, you're speaking in the words of God there which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. So you've got to follow what He says. That's the Holy Ghost. You've got to follow what He says and walk in the Spirit. And then you what? Then you receive what He wants you to see. What He wants you all to see. So listen, biblical interpretation is, is now given. And how you line it up is this. Scripture with Scripture. Biblical interpretation is Scripture with Scripture. Paul said they're comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Back in Isaiah chapter 28, it's line upon line, isn't it? Precept upon precept. We're taking some precepts the last couple Sunday nights. Precept upon precept. Two weeks ago it was safety. Last week it was biblical authority. What is That's a precept in the Bible. You learn them one at a time. You don't get the whole package deal. It's not like that sci-fi movie that came out in 2000. I think it's called The Matrix and you plug something in the back of your head and all of a sudden you know Kung Fu. It don't work that way. It's precept upon precept. It's line upon line. Here a little and there a little. And remember, John 16, 13, John 16, 13, it is the Holy Ghost which teacheth us. It's the Holy Ghost. Uh, we, of course, believe in the individual priesthood of the believer, amen, and God could teach you, but He also uses men. He also uses men. And uh, here's something that's noteworthy. There's two hindrances, two hindrances uh, why He won't use you. Number one, if you're dirty, he won't use you if the priest is dirty. And how about number two, God may not use you if you're not willing to hear. He might not use you if you're dirty and you're not willing to hear. In other words, he may put the information out there, and the information might be available, it's within your grasp, but if you don't want it, then you're not going to get it. It's as simple as that. And if you're dirty, you're not going to get it either. The bottom line is this, apart from the Spirit, there can be no spiritual understanding. It's really simple. A man can write it in man's words all he wants, and he can write it in man's language, but man can't understand the things of God except what? They be revealed unto him by the Spirit. Look at verse 14. Verse 14, the Bible says, But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are what? <clears throat> Foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. So he's telling you that the only way to get discernment is spiritually. only way you get discernment is spiritually. And if someone is lost, the natural man can't know. And the natural man can't receive it. And the natural man won't get it anyway except God give it to him personally. Um, look at John 8, 47. John 8, 47, just for a second. John chapter 8, verse 47. 
Now the Bible says over here in uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, chapter 8, verse 47... He says, He that is of God heareth God's words. <clears throat> ye therefore hear them not, because ye are not of God. And now, most of you probably just found that, though. I'm going a little fast, but you'd take a Sunday morning, the big crowd service, you know, where you've got a more diverse group instead of uh, the faithful few here on uh, a Wednesday night. But you get the big crowd, and you'll, you'll have twice as many people here. And uh, the preacher will go out, and you'll be amen preacher, amen preacher, and there'll be some people going... What are you, are you nuts? Are you, are you high? Are you crazy? And you're going, amen, preacher, amen. That's right. Get them. Stick them. Amen. And they're going, what is that? No discernment. Why? Maybe they're dirty. I don't know. Maybe they don't want it. Maybe they don't want to hear. Maybe they're not willing to serve. So God's like, nope, lights off. All right. <clears throat> if you can't understand the Bible, there's a possibility that you're not even saved. Now, I'm not of that group saying, uh, you know, if you do something wrong, you're not saved. I'm not of that group. I'm not the Holy Spirit. But if you don't understand the Bible, maybe you're not saved, or you've got to check it out, or maybe you're dirty. You're not walking in the Spirit. When you approach that book, you, you can't come dirty and expect God to show you things. Uh, but you're not going to get it, and you can't get it unless you are doing spiritual things and you're a saved individual. And the way that you're going to get it is line upon line and precept upon precept and comparing spiritual with spiritual and scripture with scripture. Look at verse 15. Now here in verse 15, clipping along, the Bible says, But he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. Now it's a tough verse for people to go through here, but he says this, you've got to be careful about judging too harshly. You've got to be careful about judging too harshly. You really do. As a Christian, this is where a lot of Bible believers fall out and they get, they get stuck in traffic and they get run over. Why? They're real good at being too judgmental, judging people. And see, the passage has nothing to do with judging people. It has to do with judging things. Look at it again. He that is spiritual judgeth all what? It's things. You judge the things. You don't judge people. And Christians, if they're honest, they often look down their noses at people and they don't care for people and they're guilty of judging people instead of judging things. So as a Christian, you've got to judge things. You've got to. You've got to judge things that people are doing. And you've got to look at that thing and say, well, that thing doesn't measure up with Scripture. Okay, well, that's their business. That's between them and the Lord. But I've got to stay clear of that. Or I need to start doing more of that. I've got to judge the things. And again, you judge the things, uh, not the man. Think, see, the last verse there, if you're a natural man, you can't draw a conclusion on spiritual things. So the lost, I say this, it's kind of tongue-in-cheek, the lost Christian world says only God can judge me. Why? They don't get it. There's no discernment. And you, and you notice those uh, people, they call themselves Christians, and they're about as Christians as they are ape, you know. It just doesn't line up. And, and they're just like, you can't judge me. You can't, don't judge me. Only God can judge me. The Bible says, he that's spiritual judgeth all things. You better do some judging in your life. All right, spiritual man can understand the things, and, and no lost man understands those things. And of course, if you look at Matthew 7, that's the passage that everyone and their brother runs to. You know, they take Matthew 7, verse 1, they highlight that. Uh, the, actually, they circle the first two words, and then they scratch the rest of the chapter out, is what they do. But if you look at Matthew 7, verse 1. <laughs> It says, judge not that you be not judged. And then they stop. They never read you verse 2. Look at verse 2. Verse 2, same chapter, Matthew 7, 2, For with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. So when you judge, you judge the thing, not the individual. And Christian, you are to judge. And on top of that, when you judge, even if you use that passage, which I'm fine with that principle, you better be careful how you judge because how you judge is how you're going to be judged. Here's the, here's the concept. If you're struggling out there in this world as a Christian and no one's giving you any grace and no one's cutting you any slack, could it be that you ain't giving it either? Could it be that you're just you're kind of cutting it black and white when the things really don't have to be black and white and you're just sitting there and you're so cotton-picking antiseptic about things and then you're having such a rough time, a rough go at things and everyone's, everyone's always mad at me and I'm telling you, what, I, you can't get along with you. You can't get along with nobody. Well, maybe you're a little bit too harsh on people. Maybe you're judging people, not the things. See, you've got to be careful how you judge. How, how that thing goes out, Matthew 7, 2, For what judgment you judge, ye shall be judged. 
I'm telling you, the older I get, I, I've tendency to just try to be a little bit more gracious with people. Why? Because that thing's coming back, man. And uh, when I get my tail in a sling, I want a few people there having grace with me. Amen. <laughs> amen. Amen. But you're to judge, and you know what you're to do as a Christian? You're supposed to weigh things out. You've got you to make judgment calls as a Christian. Men, you lead your home, you've got to make judgment calls, and mama's not going to be happy with all of it, and the kids aren't going to be happy with all of it, and the grandkids aren't going to be happy, but you've got to make some judgment calls, and you've got to make comparisons. And see, that's one of the things the media thinks you're just an absolute uh, evil person if you make any distinctions. If you, say there's no, uh, there, uh, if you say that, yes, there are distinctions between races then you're a racist. Well, forgive me, but the last time I checked, a black man doesn't worship like a white man worships. And not only that, but an Eastern man, a Chinese man, uh, he doesn't worship like a white man worships. And not only that, they don't even listen to the same type of music. And not only that, there's, there's some things that our Eastern friends would eat that I wouldn't touch with a 10-foot pole. You say, what is that? Well, honestly, that's racism. That's a distinction of the races. Races are different. Does it mean one's superior than the other? It just means that there's actual distinctions. And what the news media wants you to do is live in fear and, and think everyone's one big conglomerate globby mess and everyone, oh, we're all equal. Okay, fine, you know, but we're different. <laughs> we're different, yeah. Uh, you have never gone to Martin Luther King Boulevard in downtown Flint and heard dueling banjos on the front porch in the ghetto. You haven't. Now, I've delivered ice cream and heard a little bit of Tupac and, and uh, all the rest of them guys, but I've never heard dueling banjos on the front porch in the ghetto. You say, why? Music is the number one racist thing in the world. <laughs> but you've got to make some comparisons. You've got to make some judgment calls. And, and uh, if you're going to be a spiritual, like the passage says, you have to do that on a regular basis. And you know what Christians are guilty of right now? No judgment. Why? They're scared of this world. They're scared of the news media. They're scared of their neighbors. They're scared of the job place. Uh, basically, anymore, when you get to any kind of job, you've got so much brainwashing before you even get your first day going. You know, all this equal this and equal that, and don't say this and don't say that, and don't look at him this way and don't look at her that way, and don't cross your eyes and don't cross your legs and don't stand up twice and sit down. You see what I mean? You just fear all the time. You've got to make some judgment calls. The Bible says, He that is spiritual judgeth all things. You say, Well, everyone goes out to, uh, you know, the, what's that place across from you, brother? The Buckhorn. Everyone goes to the Buckhorn on Friday night. Well, I'm not going to go. Well, you can come on over, have yourself a pizza, and, you know, uh, get yourself some root beer. I ain't going. Why? That pla- I don't even know if that place is still open. That place is noted for being a bar. I ain't going. Well, I think you got a Christian, help yourself. Let me see how that works out for you. I'm making a judgment call. I ain't going. All right, now look. Look at verse 16. The Bible says, For who hath known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? It's talking about the judging in verse 15. But we have the mind of Christ. All right, it says we have the mind of Christ. That's present tense. That's you and me. That's a child of God. Uh, We just have to learn to what? Yield to it? You've got the, you presently have the mind of Christ, but you know what? There's too much of you in the way. You've got to learn to yield to that thing. I'll have the mind of Christ now. The problem is there's too much a preacher in me. There's too much Jeremy Evans. But I presently have the mind of Christ. And so do you if you're saved. There's too much of my opinions. There's too much of my ideas. There's too much of my thoughts. Uh, and to yield to his mind, and that's the way you're supposed to judge things. You have the mind of Christ. You've got to yield to it. You're to judge the things, verse 15, with what? What you presently have, the mind of Christ, and that's by yielding to it. Uh, say, how would Christ judge? Well, I believe he wouldn't be too quickly, uh, quick to uh, rightly discern or understand uh, in other people's matters. Uh, don't be too quick to draw your line in the sand if you don't have enough data. Someone comes that you love, and they're your best friend in the whole wide world, and they tell you something. Sometimes you better just be better off to just chill out a little bit instead of, you know, throw all your ammo at the, uh, ammo at the bottom of the hill. You better just hold off on that thing until you get all the information. Sometimes you've got to make, you make some uh, judgment calls on that thing. And that finishes up chapter 2 there. Let's run right into chapter 3. Chapter 3. 
Paul says here in verse 1, he says, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. All right, now you see that thing, uh, to be carnal is to be a baby. That's the best way to put that thing. And if you're carnal, uh, the only thing you can receive, uh, the only thing you can receive if you're a baby is milk. You see that? Uh, The carnal Christian and the spiritual Christian are only two classes there are. You're either carnal or you're spiritual. There's no midway. There's no. There's. You're either a baby or you're spiritual. That's all there is. Two classes. Two classes. And you say, well, what's the difference? Well, uh, the spiritual Christian seeks God first. The spiritual Christian seeks God first, and the carnal Christian, guess what he does? He seeks himself first. And a carnal Christian, of course, as you know, uh, uh, maybe you don't know, but a carnal Christian is not someone who drinks, smokes, and dances. That's worldly. That's not a carnal Christian. Uh, Carnal Christians, uh, they don't pray. Carnal Christians, they don't read their Bible. They don't seek God's will and God's time and God's way. That's a carnal Christian. And carnal Christians don't serve God either. Why? Too busy serving themselves. How many, when you had children, ladies, uh, you you saw your your newborn babe uh, crawl around and try to serve everybody? They're just just worried about themselves. You know, they need changed, and if not, they'll squawk and let you know, right? And if you're in their way, they'll squawk and let you know. And if you're too far away, they'll squawk and let you know. If it's too cold, they'll squawk and let you know. And if they don't want to lay down, they'll squawk and let you know why. They're a baby. And that's a perfect picture of a Christian. And carnal Christians, they don't serve God either. We think of carnal, we think of worldly, but like I said, it's not worldly. Uh, Many carnal Christians are not worldly. I want you to wrap your head around that for a minute. Many carnal Christians are not worldly at all. Many carnal Christians are very antiseptic. That's a a very good word for that thing. I know know several carnal Christians, they're, they're just as clean as a bucket of Listerine. You couldn't find an ounce of dirt on them if you tried, but they're so stinking carnal. Quiet on that one. Carnal Christians are those that have envy, strife, and division. See, it doesn't matter. It's, it, carnal Christians, not whether or not you, uh, you're a gal and you wear a pair of britches, or not. it has nothing to do with it. <laughs> carnal Christians, not whether or not you, uh, you know, bounding out that door, lighting up on the way out, it has nothing to do with it. I don't know. Maybe, maybe you got a, maybe you're just slap addicted to nicotine and you can't kick it, and you've been trying. I don't know about you, I tend to have a lot more grace for those kind of individuals and people run around the church around their big, fat, stinking mouth destroying lives. Tell me how many smokers split a church. Tell me last time someone had a little sipping problem, they came in and destroyed a church. Tell me last time someone had a big, fat mouth, came in and destroyed a church. There you go. You say, you endorse that? Of course not. I'm not that stupid, but I'm just saying, when was the last time you saw someone that had a problem with those obvious things because you can smell them or the little red-cheeked when they come in, you know. Or you call them and you know they're higher than a stinking kite. <laughs> you say, what is that? That's worldly. That's not carnal. But we set, a st- uh, we set a different standard than God does. And our standard, unfortunately, it's always lacking. It's always lacking. And even though we think we're pretty good at it, we're really not. Now, there are seven, spirituals, uh, seven stages of spiritual growth. I just want to write them down on the board for you here. Seven stages of growth. I'm going to go through them as quick as I can. I'm just going to give them to you, and I'll write the passages down, just the references, and I'll read them when we move on. The first one, uh, number one, baby. In the Bible, you've got the baby stage. Uh, that's 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1. And another one is 1 Peter 2, verse 2. That's the baby stage. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1, the Bible says, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. <clears throat> and that one in 1 Peter chapter 2, 2, the Bible says, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. That's number one, babies. The next stage here is little children. Spiritual stages in the Bible, little children, number two. Now you get this one out of 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. <clears throat> and you got a comparative reference of Galatians chapter 3, verse 26. And 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, the Bible says, My little children, this, the apostle John here, he says, My little children, these things write unto you that you sin not. 
And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Well, that's little children. All right, we'll grab number three here. Then you've got a child. You've got a child. The child stays there. And you find that in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14. Ephesians 4, 14. The Bible says that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cutting craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. He says that we be no more children. That's a spiritual stage. That's a stage of spiritual growth. All right, number four, you've got a young man. That's a spiritual stage. Young man. And that's, uh, that's found in 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2, verse 13. And the Bible says, I write unto you fathers, because you have known him that is from the beginning, I write unto you young men, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. So that gives us number five as well. And that fifth stage is fathers, the same reference. Not like the guy downtown that wears his collar on backwards but a spiritual stage of growth. All right. So if you've ever led someone to Christ, then spiritually you'd be a father. Amen. Amen. All right. Now, you've got number six. Number six. Uh, there's elders. Elders. And you find that in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1. 1 Peter 5, verse 1. The Bible says... 1 Peter 5, 1, the elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder, that's Peter talking, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory, that shall be revealed. That shall be revealed. 5, 6, and 7. And then, of course, the last one is found in the book of Philemon. The last stage of spiritual growth is aged. That's old. Now, that's spiritual. That's not talking about... Uh, your, your, your physical age. And that's found in Philemon, of course, only one chapter in the book of Philemon. Philemon chapter 1, verse 9, Paul says, Yet for love's sake, I rather beseech thee, being such as one as Paul, the aged, and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Now you got the seven growth, uh, growth stages, and if you consider it, the, the pace of the growth is completely up to you. It really is. Uh, the, pace, the pace of growth is completely up to you. It depends on whether or not you desire the what? Sincere milk of the word. Sincere milk of the word. Take your Bible, go to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. All this growth straight, uh, stage, it all hinges on Acts chapter 20, verse 32. And it's entirely up to you how fast or how slow you grow. Now Paul says, and now brethren, I commend you to God. That's a good, good way to commend it. It's a good way to put somebody. And to the what? The word of his grace, which is able to what? Build you up. You know what's going to build you up? The word. That book in your lap. Build you up and give you an inheritance among all of them which are sanctified. So you, you got to grow by the word. I'll say it again. You've got to grow by the word. Matthew chapter 4, verse 4. Man shall not live by bread alone. Jesus Christ is saying, what he's saying is you're not going to grow up unless you got the word. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. That's it. You grow by the word. You don't read the word, you won't grow. You don't consume the word, you stop growing. You consume the word, you begin to grow. As soon as you stop, you stop growing. All right, so it's not like physical growth. Physical growth, it kind of drives you to take care of it on your own. You just automatically, you wake up and you eat. Why? That's a fleshly thing. But a spiritual thing, if you want to grow, if you want to get out of your baby stage, and you want to advance to the little children's stage, if you want to uh, advance past the being a child, and a lot of Bible believers are nothing but a bunch of children, amen, and how you get to the young men or father stage is by getting in that book. Getting in that book. And the more you get in that book, the more you what? Well, it's like this. If you want to know what the definition of growing is, I know some of you know it. The definition of growing spiritually is changing. You want to grow? 
Oh, yeah, preacher, I want to grow. You want to change? Ah, we'll get back on that one. <laughs> Why? Even the business world knows better than that. Nobody likes. You want to grow? You're going to have to change. Where you're at right now, if you want to grow, you've got to be willing to change. And the only way you're ever going to be willing to change is by sticking your nose in that book and learning that book and reading that book and studying that book. And that book will build you up and that book will change you. But growing is changing, and it's harder to change when you get older, isn't it? Uh, moms and dads get more set in their ways. They get more finicky. They get more cranky. My older clientele with firewood, they're the most crankiest individuals I've ever met in my life. They want it cut exactly this length. It can't be more than that, and if it is, they're going to let you know. Why? Because the older you get, the less you are excited about change. And can I say this, uh, especially Bible-believing Baptists, they're the worst bunch out of all. You say, why do you say that? Because I is one. I is one. What, would it, what, what good would it do us to, uh, to point our fingers at the, as the Methodists or the Independents? Wouldn't do us any good at all. Straighten a bunch of pictures, amen? But the Bible-believing Baptists are the worst. They hate change. They hate change. And a carnal Christian is dominated by fleshly desires. A carnal Christian is not interested in true spiritual meat. You catch that? A carnal Christian is not interested in true spiritual meat. I'm just going to let that set a while. You're here. I'm happy for you. I know some people couldn't be here. I'm not picking on those that couldn't be here. But a carnal Christian is not interested in true spiritual meat meat. And there yields to the things found in verse 3. Verse 3, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 3. When you're not interested in spiritual meat, uh, uh, you end up yielding to envy, strife, and division. You see that? That's the byproduct of not changing. That's the byproduct of carnality. A carnal Christian is not interested in being fed at all. You want to know, you don't want to know what the temptation, and I know it's there. I know it's there. You know what the temptation is to skip out of church? It's carnality. It is. That is ultimately why church is not important. I'll say it again. That is ultimately why church is not important. Now, you've made it important. I'm not on you. Amen. But what is that? That's carnal. You don't want to grow. You don't want to eat spiritually. A carnal Christian is not interested in being fed at all. Now, there's several marks of that carnal Christian. And like I said before, it's not cussing, drinking, smoking, uh, dancing, and, and whatever else you do, you know, that's different than what somebody else does. But you find it in verse 3. It's envy, strife, and division. You know what the problems of this church has been over the last 60 years? Envy, strife, and division. Why? It never grew. Never grew. Envy, strife, and division. Carnality. You know be our problem in 2021 if we refuse to change, if we refuse to grow? Envy, strife. Division. That's where it's at. <clears throat> Envy is you wanting something that someone else has. And it doesn't always have to be physical things either. It could be a position. It could be the spotlight. It could be uh, a special. It could be uh, to, uh, to have someone said something about you, uh, whether it's in the bulletin or not. But that's envy. All right, envy is you wanting something that someone else has, and there's a multitude of scripture on that. We won't take the time to chase it down. Where strife is contention and conflict and sowing discord and splitting up things over what? Nothing. Nothing. Splitting up over nothing. I'll say it again. Where strife is contention and conflict and sowing discord and splitting up things over nothing. The truest signs of carnality are found right there in verse 3, but before we do that, hit verse 2 first. Paul says, I have fed you with milk. And of course, we know milk's for babies. Yeah, milk's for babies. Uh, and not with meat. You can't, feed a, you can't feed a baby meat, you'll kill it. It'll choke. Uh, for hitherto, you were not able to bear it. So babies can't di uh, digest meat yet, can they? And uh, neither yet now are you able. So even after the, the time that Paul had tried to establish them, and that's what I'm as a preacher. I'm trying to establish y'all that come here. But Paul, even after he tried to establish them, they still couldn't bear it and they still couldn't handle the meat. Uh, they were still baby. And you say, well, why couldn't they bear it? Why couldn't they digest it? Well, look at verse 3. Here's why they couldn't. They couldn't digest it because, he says, for ye are yet carnal. For whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? 
So the results of the carnality later on in the chapter is simply women. They don't follow their husbands and church members don't follow the pastors. Well, who do you think you are? <laughs> Got your number, man. <laughs> you don't want to follow me. It ain't going to hurt my feelings. But that's kind of the way God set that thing up. And I know I'm supposed to be a benevolent ruler and a kind ruler, but nevertheless, I'll lead no matter whether it's one or a hundred. don't matter. And when, uh, when you've got carnal Christians, uh, you see a lot of things go on like that. And both of these reasons are simply because the Christian is carnal. There's a, and you say, well, what ultimately is there's a lack of contentment somewhere. There's a lack of contentment. And what happens is if you're carnal, you're not content, and then you get aggravated about it. And uh, the truest signs of carnality are envy, strife, and division. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. Back to uh, chapter 1. 1 Corinthians 1.10. Give you a couple passages of Scripture here for you. Uh, now Paul says, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing. Have you ever read that and thought that was an interesting verse? All speak the same thing? Not talking like a bunch of robots, but he clarifies it, and that there be no divisions among you. You know, there are all kinds of divisions in, in, in a local church. Uh, people giving each other the cold shoulder because they don't like each other. Uh, people ignoring one another because someone they thought didn't treat them right. You know, and on and on the list goes. What is it? It's carnality. Well, you don't understand. I know I don't understand. I'm not Dr. Phil. I know you are, and you've got it all done on your PowerPoint presentation, and you're in the right, and everyone else is in the wrong, but that's a division, man. You're dividing up over stuff. Uh, look, uh, uh, it says, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind, in the same judgment. Talking about matters of the church. Look at uh, Romans sixteen seventeen. Now, we've been here a number of times, but go, goes back to a different vein. Now, I beseech you, Romans sixteen seventeen. Now, I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions. You see that? And the context is in the local church. I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned and avoid. I'm going to give you one more. One more. Uh, 1 Corinthians eleven eighteen. 1 Corinthians eleven eighteen. Now, division. People splitting up over things. People getting uh, uh, all, you know, won't sit by this person or won't uh, go to a meeting with this person. If they're not in the spotlight, they won't be there. Or they won't do this or they won't do that. And so that's just a bunch of carnal baby junk is what that stuff is. Uh, there, there should be no reason why we don't have a, a fall harvest fest and pack this place out with everyone here. But you know why? He said, well, preacher, there's work schedules. I understand the work schedule. I'm not, you know I'm not talking about that. You know, I've got to continue to clarify that stuff in the Laodicea and church age because everyone's so thin-skinned anymore. But I'm talking about if you could come, but maybe you didn't come, and I don't know whether you did or not. I can't remember two days ago, but you didn't come because someone was there. That's what I'm talking about. Well, if they're going to be there, I'm not going to, well, why you got to be so divided over it? Well, you think everything really revolves around you? Well, you big baby. <laughs> Uh, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 18. Uh, Paul says, For first of all, when you come together in the church, I hear that there be divisions among you. Now, that's how you know he was in a, a Bible-believing church. Because <laughs> Paul had heard from another town that there was divisions. Now, that's where you and I live, and it's kind of the same thing in your own home sometimes, and you grew up when the kids were there and that. I mean, sometimes it was, you know, green pastures and all the rest, but sometimes it was like the little Willie's truck was parked in the front yard there, and nobody wants to talk to each other because you all divided up over everything. But, uh, <clears throat> but divisions, I hear that there be divisions among you. One of the truest signs that you have carnality is that you constantly have divisions, constantly have divisions. We've experienced our handful of that stuff in six years of being here. You know, so, uh, you know, family walks in the door and sucks every little bit of oxygen out of the room. And you're like, you're really? I don't know. I just feel you come to church. You want to come to church and worship Jesus Christ. No, it's got to be about you. It's got to be about your 28 kids. And it's got to be about everything you're doing and how you're active in this and active in that. What is that? Division. Division. All right. <clears throat> but uh, if you've been in church any amount of time at all, you'll find that there are constantly divisions going on in churches today. And that's a lot of truth there. That's an unsavory truth, and I'm just kind of slowing down and putting it in the creeper gear here so the Holy Spirit maybe just shine a little bit of light in your life, a little bit of light on your heart there, and if, you've got, if you're at odds with brothers and sisters in this church, 
Man, that thing ought not to be. There should be no divisions. You say, well, they did us wrong. Well, be woman enough or man enough to go to it and try to make it right. Well, I didn't do anything wrong. Okay, well, go clear the air. Not me. Okay, well, then have divisions over it. Let me know how that works out for your heartburn in three months. Let me, let me see if you don't come down with an ulcer in about six months, Lord, trying to kick you in the tail, trying to get that division thing fixed. The Lord has an interesting way of getting your attention. I'm not trying to be cruel, but I've, I've had to reap a few things in, in the way of carnality. And uh, I used to think that ignoring the situation made it all go away. <laughs> no, it just makes it worse. First of all, you get the thing right with the Lord, and then you go and try to make it right with the brother. And if they don't want nothing to do with it, at least you're clear. Then at least your, con- your conscience is golden, man. But if, you've got, if you're dividing up stuff be- between people in the church and you won't go deal with it, that's on you. That's on you. And you know what you're doing? If you're constantly being divided up and having problems with divisions, you're affecting the whole local assembly. You say, why? Got to have it your way. You know, I know a guy in the Bible named Achan. He had to have it his way too. It affected his whole family. You see what I mean? You can go ahead and have it your way, like they do at Burger King or wherever they do it, but you just might end up reaping some stuff like Achan reaped. And I would want anyone to reap what Achan reaped. He lost everything. Not only lose his own life, and I understand the Old Testament economy, but he lost his wife, he lost his kids, he lost his everything. Why? Just had to have it his way. I don't know why I parked there, but it was all right. Whatever. Next. I'll look at verse 4. All right. The Bible says, For a while one saith, I am of Paul, and another I am of Paulus, are you not yet carnal? All right, so this, uh, this here, ver- this verse 4, this has to do with reputation and uh, who they follow and who is the best. And uh, so Paul says, are you not carnal? Notice the difference, uh, the, the division being talked about here is between saints in the same assembly. That's why I hit this thing. He's not talking about the Methodists versus the Pentecostals or, you know, the Braves versus the Diamondbacks or whatever. I, he's talking about saints in the same assembly. See, this thing is a real deal. And if it was going on in Paul's day, you can guarantee 2,020 years later, however many years later, it's probably worse now than it ever has been in local assemblies. And we're, we're, we're not exempt because we believe the King James Bible. Matter of fact, if, I'll tell you this much, because we believe the King James Bible, I think we're a bigger target. If you think the devil's happy that we're a King James Bible even Baptist church, I think you're mistaken. But the devil lets you be a King James Bible believer if you don't ever do anything with it. He'll let you be a King James Bible-believing, independent, fundamental Baptist as long as you're mad at everyone in the church. He'll let you believe the Bible is the whole truth and nothing but the truth, so help you. But then you won't get under the preaching. You won't submit to anything but your own will and your own way. He'll let you do that. Now remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 12, uh, he was talking about those who followed Paul or those who followed Cephas and those who followed Apollos and those followed Christ and all the rest. The whole idea was to destroy anyone who's in authority so they could justify sin. You see that? Constant division. Constant division. And the truest uh, sign of carnality here is envy. The lack of contentment, strife, and constant division. And that sin is pointed out here as following different human leaders in the same local body. That's what you've got to get out of that thing. What's going on in the local assembly at Corinth is they're trying to follow different leaders in the same assembly. And Paul says, you're carnal. You're a bunch of babies is what you are. You can't, you can't do it that way. The sin pointed out is following different human leaders in the same local body. The divisions were within the Corinthian church and grew out of envy, strife, and division. And you know what Paul said? He said, follow me as I am Christ. That's what he said. He said, there's one leader. He says, and you better follow me because I'm of Christ. He's trying to get them on the same page. That's why he's doing it. And uh, you've got to have the Bible as the absolute authority. You can't, you can't pull up all these other versions uh, because that makes you the authority. And most people are so busy with their differences and divisions among each other that what happens is down the road they just become indifferent to sin. They become indifferent to sin. 
And uh, if we're going to eventually get to that, but over in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, that's what happens. They become so indifferent because of their envy, their carnality, their strife and division that they're indifferent over that one fellow that was in the church sinning in the most horrendous way he was sinning. And they're actually glorying in it. Uh, so this church, it got lackadaisical in their beliefs and their practices. And it got lackadaisical in the study of the Word of God. And if you're not careful in 2020, when you have more venues and more access to the Bible, you have access on laptops, tablets, computers, books, and whatever, uh, you'll study and read less now even though it's more available. Why? Carnality. And you've got to remember that divisions represent a much deeper sin of a lack of love for each other and pride and selfishness and all the rest. I'll say that again. you got to remember when it comes to division, it re- represents a much deeper sin of a lack of love for each other. Uh, to glory in this kind of division is very much like babies and how they act in a nursery. <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> a baby in the nursery goes, I want my way, I want my toys, and I want my friends. And when you're carnal like that and you've got envy and strife and division, it reveals that there's a serious lack of true Christian love that we should all have for each other in the local assembly. That's it. You and I should have a tremendous amount of love for each other in this assembly. Period. We should be going out of our way for each other. But true signs of carnality is we want to serve ourselves. We don't want to serve one another. We don't want to help out. We don't want to bear you one another's burdens. So when you get yourself caught up in that thing, envy, strife, and division, it just represents a true uh, lack of uh, pure love, Christian love, that we should all have for one another. And why some of you all get so ticked off and carry a chip on your shoulder around here is why, preacher? Because you don't love each other like you should. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. And what happens is that these Christians, in this case, they decide they're going to follow one, and one's going to follow another. So then you've got division in the local church. You know, that, that's very typical of these larger churches that have big deacon boards. You get you a church of about 100 and you get you about 50 deacons. <laughs> and everyone's got their one they're following. And no one's paying any attention to the preacher because the preacher do not have any background, if had any brains, he wouldn't have 50 deacons in the first place, you know what I mean? And you get all divided up over a thing. I'll grab a couple more. Verse 5, the Bible says, Who then is Paul and who is Apollos? But ministers by whom you believed even as the Lord gave to every man. When you think about it, who is anybody but a tool uh, when compared to Jesus Christ? And Paul goes, who then is Paul? He's like, who am I? Who's Apollos? Uh, But we're ministers. Anybody, if you're anything, you're just simply a tool in comparison to Jesus Christ. But what these people were doing, because they may not have been great in and of themselves, that they sought their greatness by who it was that led them to the Lord. I'm of Paul. I'm of Apollos. I'm of Cephas. Well, I'm of Christ. Oh, okay. And they're seeking their greatness by those they were uh, associated with. And uh, and they did this so they could lord over other people. Uh, Paul led them to Christ, or Apollos led them to Christ, and therefore uh, one in the local assembly was supposed to be greater than the other. Look at verse 6. Verse 6 says, I have planted Apollos water, but God gave the increase. All right, so you know, some plow, some plant, some water, and some weed. You see that? Not everyone's going to plant. Not everyone's going to water. Not everyone's going to weed. But God's the one that gives the increase. Some have a ministry of plowing. All they do is plow the ground. Some of you are great at plowing. You go to work every day and you live clean as a stinking houndstooth. You know what you're doing? You're plowing that ground wherever you go. I'm not saying don't go live clean. I'm saying that's your ministry. Okay, go plow. Go plow. Just make sure someone can come behind you and drop some seed on some good soil. And sometimes we're not careful. You plow too deep. <laughs> you, just, you get in the old D9 and you clear everything out on the entire field. But some have a ministry of plowing, some have to water, and some have to plant. But never, ever forget that God is the one who gives the increase. Look at verse 9. It says, we are laborers together. We are laborers together with God. And you've got to understand there's nobody, in, and there's nobody any greater than anybody else in the church. You got that? There's nobody greater than anybody else. It's not big me, little you, or big you, or little anybody else. There's no, there's no hierarchy. There's, there's a preacher, I get that. But there's, there's no one greater than anybody else in the local church. We're all a hand, we're all a foot, we're all a toe, or whatever. You're a nose, you're an ear, 
whatever you are. Uh, different parts of the body. But this attitude or idea in the local church that somebody is greater than somebody else, that's just carnal. That's just carnal baby stuff. Amen? And uh, look at John chapter 4. I'll show you this thing. We'll wrap up. John chapter 4. Now, never a chapter in the Bible so applicable to, to today in our church. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And if nothing else, it just should serve a grave reminder and a warning for us that we, go to, we don't go down the road of carnality in the way that we have in the past. John chapter 4, verse 34. <clears throat> you know what I know about every church? Every church has a nursery. It also has a place where the kids go so they can be quiet too. Did you catch me on that one? Every church has a nursery. Why? Every church has babies. Now, you've got to start somewhere, Amen. Now, it's not a kick in the teeth to someone who's a baby, but maybe after 10 years, maybe it's time to start drinking the milk. After all, Hollywood did say it does the body good. Amen? And didn't Rally say you got to eat? <laughs> maybe you should eat. All right, John chapter 4, verse 34. The Bible says, Jesus saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me, and to finish his work. 35, say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. All right, 36, and he that reapeth receiveth wages, and gathereth fruit unto life eternal, that both he that soweth and he that reapeth may what? There you go. And herein is that saying true, one soweth and another reapeth. So it doesn't really matter who's doing what, does it? You know the... I understand there's good that comes from door knocking ministries. There is good that comes from street preaching ministries. I've been on the street corner preaching while little, little old ladies have led people to Christ outside the door of a bar. But what I have noticed over time and a period of about 20 years is a lot of times, many times those ministries, all they do is create bloated, uh, hyper-spiritual, ultra-pharisaical Christians. That's not to give you an excuse not to do something for the Lord, but thinks that they're the only things important on the planet Earth. Where you just read here in verse 37, and herein is that saying true, one soweth and another reapeth. All right? So you might not be a reaper. You might not be able to close. Some people have the gift. God has given you the gift to be able to, to uh, the scriptural way to say it is draw the net. Draw the net. Some of you can't draw the net, and I'm not against you for it. But you can plow, you can sow, you can water, and some you can weed. But the bottom line, verse 37, one soweth and another reapeth. It doesn't matter who's really doing what. They all receive wages and they all reap part of the work. Amen? So that's, that's what you've got to get the idea. There's not one part of the body that's more important than the other. All right, let's stop here at verse 7 and we'll pick up there next time we're around this. Stop on verse 7. All right, why don't you stand? All right, let's pray. <clears throat> now, Father, we love you. We thank you for Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, for a perfect Bible. And, Father, I pray that you bless your people, Lord, for enduring the preaching and the teaching. God, I pray that you bless them because of your word. And, Lord, I pray that you let the word of God just rest down in their hearts tonight. And, Father, I pray that you give our people a great rest of the week. And, Father, I pray you'd restore those who are sick. And, Lord, heal those who are brokenhearted. And, Father, we love you. We long for heaven. And I pray that you bring us back. If you're not going to come back, and get us out of here on Sunday morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right.